0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Portfolio manager, Darren Lekkerker joins the show today to discuss his outlook on equities and what his positioning is for 2024. With inflation coming down and possible rate cuts on the horizon, Darren says he's looking into a few investment opportunities with a focus on energy and copper. He adds copper is a major beneficiary of the energy transition and that engineering and design companies will most likely do well this year due to reshoring trends. Darren says mid-cap and small-cap companies could potentially outperform this year. In terms of his fund, Darren is focused on North America as it has historically been the best place to invest. He adds North America has the greatest exposure to secular growth industries like technology and healthcare compared to Europe and Asia. This podcast was recorded on January 11th, 2024.
1: We've actually done on Fidelity Connects a couple of questions, a couple of discussions about kind of the geopolitical everything. And that's more on the politics side of things. But the discussion was still that North America is a pretty nice place to be, to live, to to be associated with, to be allied with on that sphere. What about the investment thesis for Fortress North America?
2: Fortress North America, I love that you call it that. I think it's a great place to invest. Historically, it's been the best place to invest. So why is that? It's energy and food independent, right? Right. The politics, although it can be divisive between the parties, is pretty stable. There's a very low chance of a shooting war breaking out here and so politically stable. And in terms of the companies, in terms of we've got very innovative companies in terms of silicon valley right like i mean think about all the big growth companies and the big tech companies many or most of them will be in north north america also in terms of resources many of the largest and most scalable and best ones are also in north america from a financial standpoint if you look at return on invested capital or return of capital through dividends or share buybacks is also highest in the, in the us and also in terms of the U.S., it has greater exposure to secular growth industries like technology, healthcare, consumer than Europe or Asia.
1: It, it is amazing, and it's sort of the area that that obviously this fund is focusing on. And tell us sort of the split between. So, if we're looking at the North America equity fund, you run other funds, but this one, what is the split between U.S. and Canada?
2: Yeah, so its its target is seventy U.S. and thirty Canada, and it's pretty close to that today. It's about seventy one yeah. U.S. and twenty nine Canada.
1: Okay, fantastic. Tell us what you thought about 2023. Let's go back a little bit in order to sort of set, set up your thoughts for, for how you're positioned for 2024. 2023 was a year of high rates.
2: If I think about 2023, people came into the year very bearish. Sentiment bearish. was very bearish. Everyone expected a deep uh, recession uh, and um, people didn't own a lot of stocks. And, uh, and meanwhile, we had a surprise. We had a great year, right? And I think part of that was due to that negative sentiment coming into the year. I think part of it was also due to um, fundamentals being better than expected as well. Particularly, we could talk later about the Magnificent Seven that had really sold off in 22, done a great job in terms of cost management. Um, and you also had like a great product cycle story for some of them and, and revenue uh, stabilizing and improving and, and better earnings. So, uh, and also I guess 23, we should talk about, you know, what didn't work as well. And Absolutely. I think for my fund that might be Um, the rails. And I think, so I think for the rails, I think what happened was you had very, very soft um, volumes. You still have that hangover post Mm. the lockdown where people overordered goods. This
1: is the inventory story. Right. Yeah, exactly.
2: And inventory destocking. And you hear about that Mm. in other industries within industrials and consumer. I think the other issue was inflation. And I think that although I think rails do have great pricing power, I think that it does take a little time to catch up. And I think that you saw margins, um, decline, whereas I would expect going forward, I do think that volume uh, growth will return. I do mm. think that they do. do have pricing power and I think that margins will return and, and meanwhile you have more normalized valuations, so I think that's a pretty nice setup. Um, one of the other areas, and we can get into it more later, uh, and the reals didn't do terrible by the way. I mean, they were they were um, you know probably mid-single digit returns, but just-
1: How does that fit with the overall returns in your portfolio?
2: Yeah. So I think the Fidelity North American Equity Fund, which is what we'll primarily be talking about today, it was a drag on the portfolio's performance, but I didn't lose lose money on them. Uh, and another area that I like to talk about is copper stocks. And I think copper stocks did okay. They actually had double digit returns, mm-hmm. um, but below the portfolio's average. But it's something that I'm excited about and I think could do well uh, in this year.
1: That's interesting. So, So are both of those stories, do they fit into that sort of discussion of you know, just the relative discussion of what was a, didn't do as well last year. I mean, it was fine, but didn't do as but but might take off a bit for this year.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a good way to characterize it. And more broadly, I would say, I think that sectors and companies that were exposed to inflation and higher rates performed generally quite poorly in 23, although they probably did well in the last two weeks or the month of last year post the Fed pivot. And I think there's some interesting um, groups to look at um, with within those areas.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the very end of 2023, because it, because it does seem to be setting us up for what, what's going on here. So there was the pivot. What did you take from that? What, what did you see sort of that was of interest to you take off a bit or maybe still be hesitant? What, what, what was interesting about that to you?
2: I think from a macro perspective, I think that we can take away that inflation's coming down, and then I think that rates will come down. Um, some of that has already been discounted in stocks by the performance we had in the end of last year. Um, but it's our job as stock analysts to like look at the individual stocks and groups and see, hey, where are the best opportunities here? Where can companies over the next one year, two year, three years, um, beat Wall Street estimates by quite a bit? And that's where we want to uh, invest. I think in some of those areas are consumer discretionary and financials, and an area that did really well for my fund last year that I think can also have exposure here and do well is technology.
1: Is technology. So so do you invest in the Magnificent Seven?
2: I do, not all of them. Okay. I mean we, Seven. We, we do a lot of individual work on all the names and we don't yeah. treat them as a as a group, but we look at them individually. Right. And so I own what I think are the best among the Magnificent Seven and where our estimates are significantly higher than the street.
1: Okay. And and the broadening discussion of of all equity markets, really, but really within the tech sector. Do you see that happening? Do you have some interesting areas that, that you're looking forward to seeing how they perform that are that are not the magnificent but are very much in tech?
2: Yeah, so I, I think tech is going to continue to do well. Last year, it wasn't just multiple expansion. We also saw fundamentals do really well. So within tech, I'm looking at companies that have differentiated product cycles or new product cycles that have cost discipline and the opportunity for margins to continue to go up, and valuations are reasonable. One of the areas that did really well, that's in my top 10, that's not in the Magnificent Seven, and I mentioned it last year, is Constellation Software, and it's in this group of software consolidators. And software is a really great business, and it generates a lot of cash flow. If you're then able to take that cash flow and redeploy it to buy other software companies at lower multiples, you're able to, to grow for a sustained period of time. One of the things that they did that was different last year that I really liked was they actually spun out a company and they had done that as well in 2021. Topicus and Lumine are the two spin outs. And so I, I've liked that and I, I've liked the strategy. of continuing on that in my top 10. I also have some other positions within technology that are a little smaller, that I'm pretty excited about.
1: Tell us a little bit about all of the different conferences going on right now. Cause it's, it's actually, it feels like a lot of the reporting when you're watching the financial media right now is people are at conferences. Like this is, this is, this, this just the season.
2: Yeah, you're right. I mean, once it's like back to school in September, and then it's back to school in (laughs) January, post the Christmas break. And so for myself, I went to, uh, RBC had a banks conference or a bank CEO conference where we got to, our team got to individually meet with the bank CEOs, which I found really valuable. It's a big part of the economy in Canada. Uh, For me, this is not a group that I own in my North American fund. I do have some investments here in my Canadian balance fund. Uh, And so, you know, why is that? I think over time, I think this is a good group and they've done quite well. I just think at the present moment, I think the valuation, the PE is like 10, approximately 10 times It's close to the average. Fundamentals are a little soft um, in terms of net interest income. Um, the margins will probably decline as rates go lower, loan growth is soft because demand is soft, capital markets, and by that I mean IPOs, uh, uh, equity uh, M&A and debt issuance is also on the softer side. And then meanwhile, you have credit costs are still low and normalizing higher. Uh, and then also the regulator, you got to have more capital. So I think its fundamentals are soft. Um, I think that the group should benefit as rates get cut. Um, they had
1: a bit of a run there at the end of last year.
2: Yeah, and I think what what you saw there was people were really nervous about this group and, uh, at the end of October because of the mortgage renewals, mm-hmm. uh, and it's still going to be an issue, right? I think it's still going to depress the Canadian economy, but it doesn't. It looks a lot better than it would have in October, and maybe the real bear case has been. Taken off the table. And by that I just mean people will have to spend more money on their monthly mortgage payment. Some of the other um, conferences that our team went to mm-hmm. was the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, which is happening actually today That's in huge. San Francisco. That's the biggest one. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and you see a lot healthcare. of company announcements around these conferences, the ICR, ICR Consumer Conference in Florida, which our team has just returned from. Uh, and last week was the Equinix Sachs Energy Conference.
1: Okay. Well, let's just go broadly to sort of the consumer. Like, are there, are there new products, new, new, new gadgets, new things coming to the market that are material to companies that you're interested in?
2: Yes, but what I would say is I'm, I think there's a bifurcation here between the US and Canada. I am more mm. concerned about um, companies in Canada that are exposed to Canadian consumer discretionary uh, spending. Right, spending. And I think that, like, look, if you got to pay $400 per month more on your mortgage, you have to think where you're going to cut that from and that's probably where it comes from. I think in the US there's a better um, story there. I do think with um, rate cuts it will uh, benefit the consumer. In terms of where my positioning is, I would say that I tend to uh, be exposed to uh, the restaurant group. I like restaurants because I think that it's very high return on invested capital and it's high return on incremental capital deployed as you add new If you own your concept, you're able to add new stores and you have a long runway, that's a growth area. Or if it's a franchise concept, then it's awesome because you don't have to deploy any capital and you can grow. I also like the dollar stores group. I look at it on both sides um, of the border. Um, And I've been looking at some other groups as well that could benefit from falling rates, including home builders.
1: Including home builders. Okay, interesting. There's There's a runway perhaps for them to take off if we see rates actually come down.
2: Right, I think it improves uh, home affordability. Meanwhile, employment has been strong. Income levels are higher, um, and uh, I think you could also see margins improve. And also, we're under underbuilding single-family homes in the U.S.
1: What about painting single-family homes in the U.S.? You and I have spoken a couple of times about their coatings companies, right? They, they coat, they paint. Their paint companies, which I think is so fascinating, is is this sort of. Of interest to you still, and is it more the industrial side of things, or is this actually people painting their homes?
2: I, I like paint, and I like boring companies like paint. I, and you, we can
1: watch it dry. Quite, you know, it's relaxing.
2: These quietly, <laughs> these quietly boring companies can sometimes really compound their free cash flow. So why is that? It's because they have pricing power. I prefer the consumer-facing ones. They tend to have more pricing power. The reason is is that they're selling it to. Um, smaller uh, companies like contractors that may paint your home versus the industrial companies that tend to one, be more cyclical in their demand, but also if you're selling it to a large uh, auto manufacturer like GM, they may have a lot more pushback in terms of your pricing and the margins that you get. Uh, I think there's a nice setup for coatings. It did well for the fund uh, last year. This year, just because you're still getting some catch up pricing from inflation. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you actually have deflation in your uh, raw materials commodities. So you can have widening unit margins on both end, right? Price going up, costs coming down. And as rates come down, the consumer could be in a better place with respect to new housing uh, and also the uh, remodeling of your existing home. Uh, Paint actually is one of the smallest consumer expenditures to have the highest impact on improving your home.
1: It's true. It really changes things up if you, if you paint it a different color. That's fascinating. I find that whole investment so fascinating. Let's go into to commodities generally. You are speaking about the, the big energy conference, but also the metals and mining discussion. Take us there. We've watched oil do some funny things lately and it's bouncing around. It's not, it's not a big problem yet, but, uh, what, what's your thought on, on energy first and then let's go to metals and mining. Yeah.
2: So I like metals and mining better, better. than energy. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, why is that for you mentioned oil, so will start there. So in terms of oil, it's being held up by OPEC, right? So there's a yeah. lot of, uh, OPEC has been cutting back production. So there's a lot of spare capacity. So it's hard to have a big price spike when you have so much spare capacity because instead you'll see, OPEC increase their production. So it's hard to, to get that excited about the group. The
1: spare capacity is the thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think the companies are not expensive, but they're not like super cheap. They are generating cash flow. They are being better stewards of capital. Some of the areas within energy that I prefer, I think one are companies that have like large, scalable, low cost resource. And most importantly, and most uniquely, management teams that have been able to use that cash flow for the benefit of their shareholders either by giving it back to shareholders through dividends and share buybacks or buying other companies really cheaply. There's not a lot of synergies when you combine resource companies. No. So, you you really have you to be operations. very cost disciplined. Mm-hmm. I think some of the other interesting areas within Energy 1 is services exposed to international or okay offshore because that's where I think more of the growth will come in oil production in the future and uranium which I think benefits from the energy transition and now I mentioned I like metals and mining better so why is that so first off anyone that's producing or, or you know producing copper is is producing as much as they can and we've seen some big disappointments right and we could get into a whole soap opera there, what's there are going some on big in, headlines. in Panama right that's like right. one of the world's largest mines isn't producing and what happens is when, when commodity prices go up, you have a lot of it's harder to produce, right? Like other people want to make sure they're getting their share of the of the take. And that includes politicians, it includes unions. And you've also had a combination of more sort of leftist leaning governments being elected and they want to make sure that sure. they're popular with the with the people. And so I think Productions being put back. Meanwhile, I think demand is increasing due to the energy transition. There's more electric vehicles, which require six times the amount of copper versus a, a regular car, and there's more wind and, and solar power, which you, which are much more metal intensive. So I think we're going to need more copper. There's not a lot of supply coming on, and there are some instances of supply coming off.
1: Is this a story for the year to come? Does it does it take off sort of throughout the decade, or I mean, from your perspective, like? You own some of these, and you mentioned last year they were fine, but not fabulous. Is this their year, or do you see yeah. that as a longer term? Yeah, tractor? I think
2: the I think what the detractor was last year was China yeah. having more uh, type of growth, and China property having more type of growth than people expected, and so. We're balancing a a few things, and it does depend on what economic growth happens. I think if we do have a soft landing in the economy, which it kind of more and more looks like we could, I think that it could be this year, Um, but I definitely think it's more of like a two to three year um, yeah. Story, or okay. or even even longer.
1: You've touched on some of this. Are North American consumers tapped out from too much debt, and you know other things, uh, just higher prices?
2: As I mentioned, I'm concerned about the consumer in Canada for primarily that reason, and so I'm avoiding Canadian consumer discretionary um, unless it's very defensive in nature, like dollar stores mm-hmm. um, or. Um, I mentioned restaurants, but that's also primarily in the U.S. where we have a very idiosyncratic uh, story. I think in the U.S. it's an area that um, I, I think could do a little better this year just given the better uh, rate outlook and continued strong employment.
1: This is a question of, of size of company. Uh, you mentioned within technology that there might be some you know smaller players that you're interested in. So, What's your outlook for mid cap in Canada also the US for this coming year? What's what's there to watch for in terms of size?
2: In terms of performance by market cap, we could I, we could see a little bit more broadening out as it was yeah. performance was more um, in the concentrated in large caps last year. Um, I tend to probably have a lot of large caps. I think I own some mid caps and small caps. I'm not trying to sort of play that where I'm trying to say, hey, I could broaden out and add it. But I mean, I recognize if we do have a soft landing, it probably would do a little better.
1: And and this is the US elections question. So with it, we know it's happening. We know it's taking place. How do you navigate that? What are the concerns?
2: Yeah, I think it's generally a little bit of a softer year for overall performance, but it's not something I'm really trying to trying to trade, trade around in my funds. I'm being conscious of what policies Republicans would do differently and making sure that I'm not overly exposed in any kind of risk there. I tend to be a conservative investor, but it's not, it's not a major uh, theme for me. I think usually, healthcare can be impacted when it comes to elections. I think there's also been a lot of really big spending programs by Democrats in terms of the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, the IIJA, the Infrastructure Act. And the chip sacks hard. hard to see all these acronyms. Yeah, I know. You did um, very think, well there,
1: I thought. I think yeah. that
2: Republicans would probably keep keep those. I think sometimes you, you may see them like repackage it and call it something else, but ultimately yeah. keep, keep it. There could the be a little less spending on, in some certain areas. Yeah. One area that really benefits from these that I'm really excited about, we haven't talked about, is industrials. And yes. I've got big exposure got in industrials you. in my portfolio. And one thing I'm really excited about that did well for the portfolio last year is the engineering and design companies. And so these com- these are re- this is a really good business because it's professional services. So it's not capital intensive and there's a really nice fundamental set up where you have these programs providing a lot of growth. Other Also other mega themes like the energy transition and reshoring of, of companies and manufacturing back to the US requiring the services here. So pretty That's nice tailwind of organic growth, margin gains, and there's a pretty good opportunity to deploy the cash flow and buy Smaller engineering and design companies, and and that's accretive to your earnings per share and free cash flow per share growth.
1: So these are engineering design companies that are engineering and designing watch, for instance. Give us some uh, an example of sort of the projects that are growing.
2: Yeah, sure. So I think some of the better areas to be exposed to right now is infrastructure. So like, yeah. you know, bridges, roads. Um, also, uh, in terms EV of large ins,
1: large buildings
2: like data mm-hmm. data centers, uh, warehouses. Um, things like that chips okay. plants
1: chips plants there's <laughs> lots of them another question regarding weightings so how much in Canada how much in the US you mentioned it at the beginning but just for those yeah just remind everyone
2: 29 in Canada and 71 in the US right now but okay. what i would say is the long term target is 70 US and 30 Canada and i try to keep it relatively close, close to that. that and i think and i think you know why is that i think it makes sense for Canadians right like if you want to think about your equity exposure as a Canadian investor i think you want to have some Canada, you're based here, your expenses are denominated in that currency. Um, but I think you want to recognize that Canada in the global economy is a small country, um, and the US is the, is the whale, and they've yeah. done extremely well. And so I think that's why we have that fund structured this way.
1: You've mentioned this before, and I think we've pointed to the fact that you, you began in private equity and you know, so sort of the ownership of the companies is, is really important to you. But there are some you'll talk to some people in the industry who aren't necessarily invested in what they in what they run but you are uh, to what extent
2: I'm well aligned pamela so You're well I, aligned. I did this i did this calculation it was 14.1 times i have in terms of the fidelity north american equity fund i have 14.1 times my my annual like salary invested in the fund um, and it's obviously the fund is, has uh, has gone up and it's increased that amount and so you know why am i doing that what like primarily honestly to save for my kids college education they're young so there's some time for that mm-hmm. to come and my own uh retirement um and my wife's retirement as well so
1: it's really great to get some of these you know just just to kind of hear the importance of that let's end with a bit of a preview because coming up we've got earnings over the course of the next little while you're you're going to be looking very closely at the fundamentals home um, I mean, earnings are always important, but I'm just sort of curious of what really can't miss going forward for you.
2: What can't miss? (laughs) Let's see, hopefully the companies that I own and have big positions (laughs) in, right? And so so, I I do tend to take a longer term uh, perspective than one quarter, right? Right. And so I think that's kind of our, a little bit of our advantage. But in terms of earnings, look, I think that, I think earnings will probably be pretty good. So I think that consensus calls for a 1% year over year increase in earnings per share. Looks conservative, I think at the third quarter and under that like four percent companies usually play this game of you under promise and over deliver and yeah. I suspect that will it's very happen good again yeah. yeah and I think that um I think that companies last year t- were very very disciplined with costs because everyone was expecting this recession that hasn't happened so I think that uh, and there's some margin catch up from inflation in the previous year right. so I think margins could be strong I think what'll be interesting is is how do volumes do and demand and what's management's forward commentary about margins, sorry, volumes and demand, as well as margins.
1: So what investment themes? Yeah. Come back to some of these. What investment themes are you currently focused on due to the great energy transition?
2: So I talked about copper Yeah, and uh, I think that'll be a big beneficiary here. And I also talked about engineering and design, which doesn't have as much exposure. It's like just a little bit of it, but Mm -hmm. I think that's another, just um, really good companies that I think can do really well. And there's some really good idiosyncratic stories in there where I think um, those companies can do extremely well. So I think that's mainly how I'm focused on playing I think copper um, is the major beneficiary there. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't own there. There are other companies you can play like more directly, like so, solar or wind companies. And I don't tend to own those. They tend to be uh, very expensive. Uh, and a little more volatile.
1: You mentioned nuclear, so uranium as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Right. that's yeah. that's
2: right as well yeah. as well as uranium, which I think is is part of the energy jet, has to be right in order to uh, to to meet the targets.
1: We th- I remember you and I spoke sometime in the depths of COVID. and We were talking about things. Um, I'm sure in separate places because everyone was in separate places. But you said something along the lines of like there are always problems in the world, but often you just keep on investing, <laughs> and. I mean, the headlines are there are lots of problems in the world. There, there genuinely are humanitarian crises yeah. and problems in the world. But what do you do?
2: I mean, look, I, I want to be empathetic to other, other people. And you know, I recognize we're lucky to um, people. We're lucky to live here. We're lucky for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess for me, I just, I just focus on the fundamentals. And I focus on our investment process, which is, Let's meet with companies. We just had like a major energy company come in this morning. So we met with them. I mentioned I was at conferences, so company meetings, talking with our team of analysts, and trying to to think like, I run a concentrated portfolio of generally 45 companies. Are these the best 45 companies I should be invested in? Should Should I sell something? Should I buy something else? So that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm really focused on my style of finding high quality companies that can grow through compounding their free cash flow per share over time.
1: Great. You invest right through it. Darren Leckerkerker, great to have you join us here on Fidelity Connects. Thanks for your time.
2: Thanks. That went really quick.
1: It went by really quickly. Darren Leckerkerker joining us here in studio today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. I'm Pamela Ritchie.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts, and don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates.